Welcome everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource and joining me is Jonathan Clayman. He's the CEO of Illuma Inc. Uh, good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Jeff. It's very nice to be with you. So, so Jonathan, for those that aren't fam familiar with Illuma, can you just give us a quick overview of the company? Yes, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, Illuma, uh, ticker ALMU, is a leading edge semiconductor chip company. Uh, and what's unique about us is that we, we can manufacture very high performance semiconductor chips in a way that uh, scales and can bring uh, costs down. There, there's typically a trade-off between performance and cost, but Illumis technology breaks this paradigm. So that, that's very helpful uh, if you're trying to provide uh, high-performance semiconductor chips to mass market applications. And uh, I'm happy to discuss some of the markets we uh, address. Uh, one of the major ones is automotive LiDAR, but uh, there are a number of, of, of other markets where our, our chips are applicable. Okay. So obviously uh, the chip market's a, a big market. Um, so in terms of uh, the area that you're addressing, how, how big is that, or are you going after niches? Uh, yeah, one of the markets that we focus on is uh, automotive LiDAR, which is uh, is an existing, it's a current market. Uh, there's demand for high-performance uh, semiconductor chips. And automotive LiDAR uh, is large. Um, estimates are anywhere from uh, a few billion out to as much as $100 billion. Uh, and uh, there are, are a number of sort of sub-markets there. One is consumer vehicles. The other is robo-taxis, and the other uh, is trucking. Uh, and eventually, the hope is that you'd get to what's known as level four driving, where the car uh, or vehicle is essentially doing everything. Uh, but in the meantime, LIDARs, these active sensors, are being used for advanced driver assistance systems, so things like better automotive, uh, automotive braking. So that's a pretty substantial market. Uh, but the nice thing about our company is that we build high-performance semiconductor chips that can go into many systems. So uh, we, it, we have engagements with companies in the industrial logistics space and defense and aerospace and the mobile uh, and AR, VR space, and then uh, in the communications, uh, quantum uh, computing and AI. Uh, all of these markets need high-performance uh, semiconductor chips. And if you kind of aggregate that all together, we're talking about trillions of dollars in, in uh, market size. And again, currently we have a, a significant focus on automotive LIDAR, but that doesn't mean we have engagements uh, in some of these other emerging markets. Okay. So obviously a large market then, and uh, obviously large players going after it. So where do you fit in in the competitive landscape, and, and how do you stand out from the competition? That's a great question. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, so there, there's sort of two different types of uh, semiconductor chips. There are the mass market semiconductor chips that are scalable. You can build many, many of them uh, at reasonably low cost. And those chips find their way into many of our uh, personal electronics, our mobile phones, our computers, and our cars, and, and so on. Um, and, and the performance of those chips, let's say, is sufficient. It, it, it sort of... Uh, works. Um, then you have uh, high-performance semiconductor chips that have 
extremely high performance, uh, can operate in, in different regimes, and can enable sort of new applications or better uh, existing uh, applications. Those chips tend to be built with specialty manufacturing, so they don't scale, uh, and they've been delegated to uh, specialty applications like defense and aerospace. Where Aluma's manufacturing technology fits in is that we completely break that paradigm. We have intellectual property uh, and the ability to put high-performance semiconductors on big substrates uh, and manufacture with mass-market microelectronics manufacturing. So we sort of bridge these two different types of uh, semiconductors. So, uh, and we're one of the few, if not only, uh, company that, that knows how, how to do that. Um, uh, so we, we can compete with the mass-market semiconductor chips because we do much better in performance, and we can compete with the high-performance specialty chips because we know how to take that technology and scale it for mass market uh, applications. So th this is a, a huge sort of holy grail technology breakthrough that uh, that we've uh, developed. And uh, I think not only is it going to enable existing technologies to scale uh, to much larger volumes, but it's going to enable some new and emerging applications. Okay. So you, you touched on IP. Can you give us a little more color on, on how you're protected? One of the main ways we protect our uh, our intellectual uh, property is with patent applications, uh, but that's really only one component. Uh, and uh, just touching on uh, patents for now, we have over 20 uh, issued or, or pending uh, patents uh, at this point. And, uh, and we're continuing to churn out patent applications as we develop and mature uh, our technology and also as we identify more and more applications of our uh, technology. Uh, but in addition to patent applications, we have a number of uh, trade secrets that we consider part of our intellectual property uh, portfolio. Uh, so for example, how exactly we do the manufacturing, some of those details might not be included in our patents or patent applications, but are maintained uh, in-house. Uh, so only a few of our uh, of our senior engineers have access to some of those recipes uh, and understand exactly how to run these uh, uh, processes. So, so our uh, intellectual uh, property portfolio includes patents, but it also includes uh, trade secrets and know-how that are, are extremely valuable. Okay. Can you give us a, a little bit on your team and, and how you know how to do all this? Our, yeah, our team, uh, we're still a small company. We're about 15 people. Uh, these are primarily experts, domain experts. Um, when, when you're sort of starting out and commercializing a very disruptive technology, you need sort of the world's leading uh, experts in that technology. And then as you grow, you start to bring in more and more industry experts that know how to scale and build out the manufacturing. And that's exactly where we are in terms of our evolution as, as a company. Many of the sort of initial team members uh, were uh, experts from, uh, and, and researchers from the nearby University of California, Santa Barbara, and people that we recruited from, uh, from academia, from government and industry, people from MIT Lincoln Laboratory, from Lockheed Martin, uh, from some uh, other uh, startup companies. 
Uh, and more recently, we've started to attract senior talent uh, from industry, the kind of people that know how to uh, turn on the manufacturing and really commercialize the technology uh, and engage with customers in the automotive space and mobile space and, uh, and AI space. So we recently hired, for example, uh, our new director of technology that came from a very large semiconductor components company called AMS Osram. Uh, and, and Matthew Doomer, uh, and Matthew uh, has experience taking a technology from R&D into producing millions and millions of, uh, of those semiconductor chips for markets like automotive LIDAR uh, and the mobile market. Okay, and, and so where are you in the process of this? Is the, do you have a finished product ready to go, or are you sampling, or, or where? We, we have been sampling uh, for several months now, so we spent a, a, a better part of a year uh, maturing our uh, technology and, and leveraging production scale tools uh, to demonstrate our technology. We've been sampling with a, a number of, uh, of customers and, uh, and evaluations have gone exceptionally well. Uh, our, our customers are very happy with the performance that they're seeing. Uh, and in some cases, we're now getting uh, requests for pricing in substantial volumes. Uh, our customers want, want to know what it's going to cost to provide millions of these chips uh, and when we'll be ready to provide millions of these chips and what the manufacturing path is. And so uh, uh, the better part of our time is now spent on qualifying the production process. We do a piece of the manufacturing in-house uh, at our site in Aluma, which is based in uh, Santa Barbara, California, in Southern California, uh, but then we also work with external foundries. So we, we do a piece in-house that is very close to our core intellectual property. And then many of the more standard manufacturing or processing steps could be carried out with large volume uh, factories, foundries, semiconductor foundries. And, and that's essentially where we'd like to go. We want to be completely fabulous eventually where we're running our wafers uh, to produce those chips through large volume uh, pure play foundries. And uh, so now we're standing up our, our, our qualified production processes at, at those foundries so that we're ready to start producing uh, many of these chips and, and delivering those to our customers. So, so the high-level summary of that is we uh, are transitioning out of the R&D stage. We've had a, a number of very successful uh, evaluations by customers uh, and now we're getting the production process uh, ready so that uh, so that we could deliver for the start of production uh, dates that that our customers are are requesting. Okay, and these uh, foundries are they overseas or in the U.S.? Uh, primarily in the U.S. Okay, that helps with the timeline. So, in terms of um, Qualifying the, the the foundries and the, and your product by by the customer is, is the next step. Just getting an order, or do you have to do a lot of work before that's done? So that, that's somewhat. This is a great question, and it's somewhat dependent on uh, the market. And, and uh, maybe I'll give two examples: uh, automotive lidar, so automotive generally speaking, and then uh, more of a you know handheld consumer market, the mobile market. So in automotive LIDAR, anything that goes in a car has to be automotive qualified. And the qualifi qualification process for automotive is, uh, is somewhat rigorous. It, it takes time. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, 
uh, our customers in the automotive space understand that anything they build themselves or, or they procure from uh, suppliers, they understand that uh, the component e- either needs to already be qualified uh, or they need to assist in the qualification process. And so in the automotive space, uh, we're uh, negotiating with customers there uh, for start of production in 2026, 2027 and beyond. So that means the volumes, the ramp up will start, let's say in 2027 and beyond. But what happens between now and then is that we have to go through a fairly extensive development and validation uh, process with that customer. And so we expect uh, re- revenue for the next uh, few years to, uh, to allow for that development and validation um, and then eventually get to the point where we start to deliver millions of those chips as opposed to uh, hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands that are needed for the qualification. So, uh, so that process is long and rigorous, but it's well worth it because that's, that's a market that is, is substantial. Uh, the projection for cars uh, a few years out is something like 100 million cars globally. So th- this is a huge market, and all the car manufacturers expect that uh, new models from 2027, 2028, and beyond will all have LiDAR on the car, whether that's for driving assistance or uh, eventually full uh, autonomous driving. So, so that's a huge market. It's well worth our time and our customers' time to go through that development and, and validation and qualification process. In, in the mobile market, the, the time to production is much shorter. Uh, if we uh, have interest from a customer in the mobile market, they want us to be in production within a few months. And that's possible because the qualification requirements, the, the specifications for mobile are not as rigorous. So we could turn on the production and, and meet the requirements very quickly. Um, so those are sort of two different uh, you know, paradigms. Um, um, one where you have to be patient and develop and, and qualify your product for automotive uh, to ensure reliability. Uh, and eventually the, the big revenue comes. In the meantime, you still have some substantial revenue to take you through that process. And then the mobile market where the customer wants the chips tomorrow um, and the quality uh, has to be good but doesn't have to meet uh, as rigorous uh, specifications and requirements. So, so we can deliver those uh, in a few months' time. Okay. So your product, is it – does it need to be tailored to the specific verticals or to each customer, or is it all off the shelf? That's, uh, that's another great question. There is some tailoring, uh, but generally speaking, it's, it's what I refer to as sort of top-level or high-level engineering. So, uh, in other words, we have sort of the base materials and the manufacturing processes that we've developed, and then there's sort of the top-level design. What is the chip actually going to look like? What's the size of the chip for that particular customer? And that's something that someone needs to spend a little bit of time designing. Um, but those top-level designs we could churn out in hours or in a few days. Uh, they're all leveraging our base materials, intellectual property, and manufacturing uh, processes. So from one customer to the next, it could be that we have to change the top-level design a bit because they need a larger chip or a smaller chip or they want the pixels in these infrared cameras to be a little bigger or a little smaller. But generally speaking, they all want the same performance. They want really high sensitivity. They want very low noise. Uh, they want very good performance. So, uh, so we have 
you know, a dozen or so uh, existing and, and potential customers that could leverage our core materials and manufacturing processes, and we only need to do some top-level engineering. If we want to broaden into other scopes that are, that are outside of, say, automotive LIDAR and the mobile market and defense and aerospace and do things very different, then uh, we need to do a bit more work from, from the ground up. But with our base manufacturing uh, approach and, and technology, we can address the needs of many customers. And we, we do have some reference design, some chips on the shelf, that people, that people can evaluate, and then they could say, uh, okay, this works, we really like this, but can you, you know, change the format a little bit? We want it to have a few more pixels or a few uh, less pixels. And, and as I said, that, that's just some top-level engineering work that we need to do to adapt to, uh, to each and every customer. Okay, so, so you mentioned automotive, you mentioned mobile. What are some of the other uh, areas that you see addressing, and what seems to be the the lowest hanging fruit or the biggest advantage you bring into which markets so we can kind of guess which markets are, are coming next? So the, the automotive lighter, I'll just mention again, is low hanging fruit because companies are already buying chips, uh, sensing chips for, for their lighters for cars and deploying them. Uh, they're just paying too much for them. And uh, they've, they've had the ability to buy 10,000 or tens of thousands, uh, but they don't see a path to buy millions uh, and they don't see a path to buy them at the, the price point that they'd like. Um, so that, in a sense, is low-hanging fruit because people are already buying chips um, like the ones that Aluma builds, but they're not built in the way that Aluma builds its chips. So, so that's low-hanging fruit, and there's a very high demand for these high-performance chips for automotive lighter. And you mentioned the mobile market. That's another big one. Some of the others that we look at are industrial and logistics. So this could include things like robotics, robots in factories, delivery robots that maybe are delivering groceries or packages, uh, factory automation, logistics, uh, security. These are emerging markets where uh, the volumes are not that large yet, but these are expected to grow. And these are markets that are already using sensor chips and LIDAR chips like those that Aluma builds. Defense and aerospace is a big one. Uh, we already have some government funding to develop our technology and try to adapt it for defense and aerospace applications, uh, and the, the demand is, is increasing. We get lots and lots of requests from some of the government primes uh, about our technology and can we tailor it for their needs. And then the other one is uh, communications, telecommunications, data center communications, quantum computing and artificial intelligence. So this is mostly about data transfer. Uh, how do you move lots of data around over fiber networks within data centers between artificial intelligence chips that need to move lots of data uh, around? And uh, our chips can enable much faster and more efficient communications, and they can also provide much better data to artificial intelligence systems because, in, in essence, uh, one of our products is uh, a very high-performing sensing chip. Uh, and so that sensing chip can provide much better data to the artificial intelligence, so the artificial intelligence chips don't have to do as much work. They can react faster and, and use less uh, energy in, in doing so. so. So how are you reaching these markets? What, what marketing channels? It, for us, it's mostly direct uh, business to business. Uh, we uh, reach out to... 
to uh, cu- customers and potential customers. In some cases, they find out about us uh, from pr- press releases, uh, publications, presentations that we're giving either at uh, investor conferences or uh, uh, technical conferences. And, and for the most part, we dig in pretty quickly to the technology. The, the customers understand at a top level why this is so compelling that we can build things with mass market microelectronics manufacturing. They've never seen this before. Uh, they're very convinced of the value proposition. And then right away, they, they want to see the details. They want to see data. They want to see how qualified it is, how mature it is. And then we start to dig in. We get under an NDA. They tell us what they need. Uh, and we start to have lots of uh, detailed technical questions and uh, figure out how we can address their needs. Uh, and then from there, uh, sometimes they want some chips to evaluate. Sometimes they say, we want to start an NRE project so that you can develop something specifically for us so that we can uh, better evaluate it. And, and if things go well, which they have in, in a few cases, uh, then they start to ask, okay, uh, when and, and how are you going to manufacture this in volume? Because we're interested in buying many of these. So, some of the markets, like I mentioned, defense and aerospace, those are typically lower volume, and there the customers are more interested in the performance benefits that we bring. They, they may not need millions of chips, uh, but they like the fact that there's a commercial market that will allow our technology to mature. And, of course, everyone wants costs uh, to be low, but they're more interested in, uh, in performance. And, and so in that case, we might only be, be delivering 10 or 100, um, but they have to be very hard-performing, and they, and they have to be very robust. Uh, and and uh, reliable, and of course our margins end up being higher in those lower uh, volume uh, applications. So it's kind of nice to to be able to play in both worlds: the the low volume, very high performance, and then uh, and then the very high volume markets where we can bring uh, that performance. So what uh, what does your revenue model look like? All right, so this year uh, we'll report a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue because we're just starting to uh, deliver on uh, contracts. Next year uh, we expect it to be a few million in the range of two to three. The following year around seven million, uh, and then thereafter is when the revenue really starts uh, to grow in the 2026-2027 timeframe and beyond. Uh, and that's based primarily or solely on our automotive lidar customers. Uh, if we get a large volume order from the mobile market, revenue will grow even uh, faster than that. We base sort of our revenue forecast specifically on Automotive Lighter, where we have the most traction because as an early stage company, we chose that market for our initial first year or two uh, focus, and now we're starting to expand into other, uh, other markets. Okay, so, so it sounds like you're looking to make outright sales of chips rather than license or set somebody up in manufacturing. Is that correct? It, there could be a combination uh, of both. Uh, we, uh, the requests that we get for pricing are intended to deliver chips, chips that customers could take and integrate and package into their cameras and into their LiDAR systems. Uh, and we might work our way up the value chain and deliver a higher level product, an entire receiver, eventually maybe the entire uh, LiDAR. But for now, uh, we deliver chips, and we want to sell chips in large volumes. But it does come up uh, oftentimes with some of our customers, especially customers that do manufacturing themselves as opposed to entirely outsourcing, 
they ask about licensing and whether they or some of their partners could take on the manufacturing. So uh, we're open to both. Uh, at the moment, we're selling chips, uh, but it's, it's very possible that some of our, our customers will become partners uh, and assist with the manufacturing or desire to take over the manufacturing because they either have their own capabilities or, or access the capabilities through uh, partnerships. So, so there's been some rumblings out of China about restricting some rare earth materials, et cetera. Um, are your materials needed for this easily accessible? Yeah, at the moment, are. it's always a concern when you see things like that uh, in, in the news. Uh, we've had a few issues here and there. I can remember uh, a year ago or so, there was a shortage of uh, uh, chlorine uh, in the world be, you know, because of sort of post-pandemic uh, supply chain issues, and we use chlorine in our processing, so it was a little hard for a few months to find uh, a chlorine um, because it it, uh, it went into force majeure, and and uh, they had to prioritize the use of chlorine for water treatment plants over, let's say, semiconductor manufacturing. Uh, that didn't last very long, um, uh, and and we're not in large volume production today, so we're not concerned. Uh, but for sure, when you hear things like that, you sort of huddle and say. Do we have all the spare parts we need for the next few years? Uh, do we have a good supply of materials on the shelf that uh, if it's hard to find, you know, material A, B, or C, that, uh, that it's not going to slow us down? Um, and so, it, yeah, when you hear things like that, you, you, you sort of uh, think about things that you can do, uh, you know, to ensure that you don't have any production uh, slowdowns. But, you know, our hope is obviously that, things, you know, geopolitics work, work themselves out and, uh, and, and those types of things uh, don't impact us. I think those, those issues will impact the big semiconductor world first. So the, the semiconductor companies like the Intels and AMDs and so on that are manufacturing many, many millions of chips uh, per month, they likely would be uh, impacted first. If we start to see them impacted by the things we hear about in the headlines, then I think, you know, we should obviously be concerned. But at, at this point, we, uh, you know, we don't see any issues here on the ground. And the materials you're using in general, they're obtainable? They are. Okay. So as we monitor the company, what are some of the, the milestones or catalysts that we, we should watch for? Technical milestones are always good, um, uh, especially when they are – uh, tied to some customer engagement. So uh, occasionally we'll have uh, some technical milestones coming out and there will be some uh, more coming out soon where we say we made a breakthrough or we've qualified our process with a foundry uh, or we, you know, exceeded performance expectations and things, things like that are, are great. Uh, and then there are and will be, you know, press releases about, uh, about deliveries of milestone deliveries with customers where customers have evaluated uh, our chips and our customers might have even taken our chips and put them into some of their systems and done demonstrations and hopefully we'll be able to uh, make announcements and might not be able to say who is doing this, but we could at least uh, report successful evaluation and demonstration using uh, our chips. Uh, and then, of course, things like uh, revenue generating milestones. So an NRE project, a prototype project with a customer, a customer order, uh, and, and a contract, whether that's a, a commercial customer contract or a government contract. Um, 
we uh, are regularly submitting proposals to the government uh, to support some of our R&D efforts and to enable us to uh, leverage our technology for government applications. Uh, if and when we win some of those government contracts, we have one we're performing on already, there'll be press releases, and, and th those are other ways to validate our technology. If, if the defense and aerospace industry and the government customers uh, are funding some of our development because they want to leverage our technology for government applications, that's just another source of validation of our technology. So I would look out for announcements like that, uh, announcements of new people joining the company that are either joining our board or joining in senior roles uh, that have significant industry experience that are going to help us uh, mature and commercialize our technology for uh, large uh, volume manufacturing. So uh, it's, it's a very exciting time for us in terms of our, our evolution and growth. Very good. So before we go, is, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you but, but didn't? I don't think so. I think your questions were really great and spot on. So, so I, uh, I, I really appreciate them. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate uh, you sharing the Illumina story. Th thanks very much for your time, Jeff.